0: How are you this morning? We've got two different kinds of people. And in one sense, they're both blind. Okay, they're both blind. Have you ever pretended that you couldn't open your eyes and you close your eyes and you start walking around and see how well you can do? Have you ever done that? And then you get scared and you want to open them right back up again, right? go, oh, because you can't see very much. Well, there's a kind of blindness that happens to us in what we call a physical way. Something happens to our eyes and we can't see. We can have our eyes open, but we can't see out of them. It's as though if you close your eyes, close them. It's that that would be what everybody who is really blind in the world can't see. They can't see. And so every time they move, they have to walk very slowly and they would have to hold their hand in front of them or a cane. Or sometimes, you can open your eyes again, sometimes they would have to find and get a dog that can see, and they hold on to that dog, and that dog helps them walk and know where they have to go. And so that's very difficult. That's one kind of being blind. The other kind of being blind, which is the one I see if you can learn about today, and it's a harder blindness, because it's like you think you can see, but you really don't get it. And uh, this kind of blindness is actually worse because sometimes people think they can see, they think they're really smart, they think they've got everything figured out, and they can't figure out when they walk along and start knocking stuff over or stumbling over chairs and pews. And so that's the kind of blindness we're going to be talking about today. The one was a man who was blind, and he started shouting. As soon as they heard Jesus' crowd, he's kind of like, all oh, that noise is going by. And he, he couldn't open his eyes and see, and so he began to shout, What's going on? What's going on? And someone told him that Jesus was coming and walking by him. And he was blind, and he said, Jesus of Nazareth! And he said, Shut up! Be quiet! And the people said, Jesus! And then, and then he shouted all oh, more. He goes, Jesus of Nazareth! And he shouted louder and louder. And finally, Jesus heard him. And he said, bring that man to me. And he said, what would you like me to do for you? What's your wish? And you know what the guy said? I want to see. I want to to be able to lift up my eyes and see. And Jesus said, as you wish. And he touched him and he healed him. And for the first time, his eyes could see. Oh, was he happy. Very, very happy. And he began to praise God and celebrate and everything else. But then there's this other guy. And he was sick. His legs were all crippled. And he couldn't move very well. I mean, he, he had to lay in bed. He was so crippled. Okay? So you got to understand that his legs were so twisted and, and hurt that he couldn't move. And so, when Jesus walked up to him, Jesus instead asked him a question. And he said to the man, Would you like to get better? Now, what would you answer? If I said you were sick and I walked into your room, would you like to feel better and get better? What would you answer? Yes! You know what this guy did? He didn't answer yes. He said... There's so many stupid people in the world, they're never here when I need them. Does that sound like yes? No. That sounds like a no. That sounds actually pretty dumb, doesn't it? Here's Jesus, would you like to get better? And he goes, all the rotten people in the world never take care of me. So, this is the neat part of the story. Even though he never said yes, you know what Jesus did for him anyway? He still healed him. He still healed him. And later on, when he was carrying his bed, because he could roll it up kind of like a sleeping bag and a mattress, they rolled it up and he's carrying his bed with him. Some people stopped him and said, what are you carrying that for? And he said, well, I got healed. And the man who healed me said, I should carry it and take it home. And they said, who did that? And you know what? didn't even know. That's what Jesus does. He heals us sometimes whether we ask for it or not. That man had a blindness where? Not in his eyes, but in his heart. He didn't really understand what God was going to do for him or what he needed in his life or anything. And so we're going to talk about two kinds of blindness. And in order to see if you can do it right, I'm going to have your candy, and I'm going to lay it around somewhere. Okay? And one of you has to keep your eyes closed, and the other one can open your eyes. And you've got to lead someone to find a bag of candy. Can you do that for me? But you can't touch it. Can you do that, though? Can one of you? You got to find a partner. Everyone get a partner. Someone get a partner. Your daddy can get both of you. That's good. You got to close your eyes. Oh, we had an odd number. Should someone be her partner. Someone be his partner. Good. We got partners. One of you has to close your eyes. So i going to close their eyes. You can't open them. If you open your eyes once, no treat. Okay. Now, I'm going to hide the candy in some different places, and you have to find it, okay? Ready? As soon as you guys with sight can lead them to their candy, but you can't can't grab it, all right, start leading them, go. Start leading them. Yeah, if you're older, talk to them, don't just carry, don't touch their hand, just talk to them. think that's enough. Oh, you can't, you can't pick it up unless you have, you're have blind. The only person who can pick it up is the blind one. Now, this could take a while. Which is great because it's an ongoing sermon illustration to remind you what God has to deal with when he deals with us. <clears throat> That's okay. That's alright. Whatever. <clears throat> now, you've got to lead the other one back. You've got to find two pieces out there. Then the other person closes their eyes. <clears throat> And if, you, if I didn't put enough out, let me know. They're all over the church. Lead the other person around. Talk to her. It's somewhere in the back out there, I guess. Good luck. So anyway, if you've ever done this experiment, we like to do it with a little bit older kids, with youth, Don't walk her into anything. <laughs> they could be, is, do they have enough bags out there? Yeah, you can go sit down then. You can go sit down, good. Why don't you both get your piece of candy? Did anyone not get candy, moms and dads? I got plenty more up here. It should be, I threw enough, I think, out. So, uh, yeah. the hard part um, is that sometimes we don't understand that in order for God to give to you what he wants to give to you, you got to do two things. One, you have to listen and hear, and the second, you have to follow and do it. There is a a lesson, a, a very simple concept being taught in the whole process here, And the process, of course, is that the difficulty in God dealing with us is that most of the time we don't take enough time to listen to Him. And a lot of times, even after we hear what He has to say to us, we're not going to respond. I don't care what God said. I'm not going to do it. And that problem is what He deals with in our lives all the time. Because we've got this unbelievable ability to sometimes hear and not do or worse never take the time to listen dear god what would you have me do and for a lot of people thinking in spiritual terms learning to listen to god is foreign to them they've never slowed down enough to ask god to communicate and speak to their hearts now you got to understand god says i've given you my spirit you have the mind of christ from out of first corinthians I have given you all these things, and his purpose is, so that you will know what I want you to do. You'll know my will. This is not something magical or formulated. This is what God has given to you as a born-again believer in Christ. I want to give you my spirit. I have given you my mind, and there is a purpose behind it. I want you to know what I want you to do. I want you to know my will. There's nothing secreted in this process that God is doing. The problem, of course, is we have to use it, we have to exercise it. And like any good listener, as most husbands eventually have to learn, is they have to stop, turn off the TV, look at their wives, and... Listen, you got to stop the distractions, right? I, uh, which, uh, someone was sharing with me that uh, they've learned that the most important thing, they got to tell their husband in the first sentence. Because that's the only one he remembers. And I said, well... I'm sad for stubborn husbands, but I'm also grateful that you have figured that out and it really blesses your marriage. But you understand that process of getting the information into people's heads. Uh, They tell us in uh, business and other stuff, they call it the rule of seven. You've got to tell people it seven times before they may have even heard it the first time. So if you've got a husband there, or a son or a daughter, or someone else, a wife, that hears it after two or three, count yourself blessed, but you get the idea here. The thing is that God is trying to communicate and speak to our hearts. I was listening to the radio the other day, and the sermon that I was listening to, the guy said, what would you do differently if you had 30 days left to live? Don't you hate those? It's a great question. know, I hate it because it always goes ding, 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 right? It nails all these characteristics and these behaviors. What would you do differently if you had 30 days to live? Who would you talk to? What would you stop doing? What would you start doing? The question, of course, was designed to force us to look at people's situations and circumstances that we've been cruel, unfair, or nasty to, things that we have said will never work out, And that 30-day limit where you know you're moving closer and closer to your death has that ability to put some pressure on you to deal with some things in your life. And almost always, those things should be dealt with before you have 30 days left to live. And then the question was, and the sermon went to, why don't we? What are you afraid of? Why are you so concerned? Why don't you live with that sensitivity as though you had those 30 days to live. And that struck my heart because it was really all the things. I mean, it's just like God just kind of goes bing, 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 bing. All these things come popping up into my head about what I'd do, what I'd say, what I'd, how I'd react, what I'd do with the things I own, what I don't own, what, you know, how I would live, how quickly you could give things away and everything else that you might think of. But then the list got heavier. People you might need to call and say, I'm really sorry that I let our friendship die or something you've said or done, I only have 30 days to live, but I wanted to make sure you always knew this one thing. You have people like that, situations like that, where if you you get kind of down into that that pressure of that last moment, you start to think a little bit more uh, cleanly and clearly, and and you don't just live in this uh, unbelievable assumption that we all have, we're going to be living to a 153 or whatever age you want to get to, so you got another 30 years out before we get to that point. And so that became the challenge. And I thought as we were thinking about I, I thought as, we were, uh, ex- as I was examining that, of these two examples, both these men are asked the same question. It's phrased a little different here in the English, but in the Greek it's the, it's the same thing. It says, what do you choose? What can I do for me Right, what can I do for you, which he asked the blind man, is what do you wish? And if you read it in the, uh, in the, in the Greek and the other one, the same thing, almost the exact same question is presented, same word. What, you know, understand, would you, like to, what would you like to get well? That kind of, would you like to be whole, complete? Would you like all of the health restored to you? Would you like is the, is the word that's repeated in both places. And that would you like is a fascinating word. I didn't know quite how to communicate that with the kids, but I thought most of you as adults can get that word. It goes, would you really like this? Would you really like to change? Would you really like your life different? That question. And in the each situation with the man who was born blind, it's a very quick response. What would you like me to do for you? And immediately goes, I need to see, I want to see, I want you to give me back my eyesight. And he's very knowledgeable. This blind man by Jericho knows who Jesus is, of course had never seen him, had no hope, at least initially, of ever being able to get to a place where Jesus was, knew him probably by reputation alone, knew enough about him that he knew that he could heal, knew enough about him that if he ever was given the opportunity, he was going to ask Jesus for this gift of healing. He knew what he wanted. He knew what he needed. It was very clear in his mind and his heart. And when the opportunity came, nothing slowed him down. As they tried to quiet him down, as they tried to shut him up, he said, it says, he shouted all the louder. He shouted over them, be quiet, be quiet. And he shouted to a point that Jesus heard and asked them, what would you like, what do you wish me to do for you? And he responds and Jesus heals him. Out of that miracle later on, which I'll read to you or look at, if you've got your Bibles, you can read kind of the results, it says many people believed, and the result was uh, that people began to praise God with that man in Jericho. The other man was ignorant of Jesus. If you've ever had the debate, will God do miracles on people without faith? The answer is yes. Okay, at least learn that much from the sermon today. Um, this man is pursued. Jesus is the initiator. Jesus is pursuing this man. Jesus is presenting the exact same question to this man that he presented to the blind man. And this man, Jesus said, would you like, do you wish to be whole? Do you wish to be made powerful again? Kind of interesting, it means without power, without wholeness. In the, in the Greek, the word for unhealthy, and uh, so it's impotent. It means to be made, in, you know, incomplete. You are not having the power you want to have in your muscles, your body, your health, and thing. Would you like me to be making you potent, powerful again, movable, whole, complete? And you begin to get this question, and the key part, like I said, is do you wish? Do you desire? Do you want? Same question, do you want? This man's response, and I've shared this with you before, is that response of, I will hold other people accountable for the condition I'm in. It's really not my fault I'm where I'm at. See, it's somebody else's fault. It's this woman I married, right? Welcome to uh, Genesis chapter 3, when uh, Adam turns and says, God, really, I haven't sinned. Really, I don't have this problem. It's this woman you gave me. Uh, She's the problem. I really have no spiritual problems. I'm really a good guy. Uh, I would have done really fine if you wouldn't have given me this woman. And God goes, Oh, right, Adam, you know, get real. But that's where that starts, you know, the blame your wife or the husband kind of mode. Eve doesn't get any better. But he turns and he blames people around him. Rather than hearing the invitation for wholeness, rather than recognizing what God wanted to do for him, He's blinded by what blows up into his own heart and spirit. What comes into him blinds his eyes and excuses him from the condition and the circumstance he's in. You understand? In other words, the blindness that he possesses is that more subtle blindness, that self-inflicted blindness, where I really don't have the problem. It rests in my wife, my husband, my situation, the world the condition somewhere else that exists outside of me and in that moment where he refuses to accept the healing in one sense or say yes i need the healing that's the miracle of the mercy and the grace of god i want you to hang on to today because still christ steps in and brings healing to this man we know he did not know that jesus was the healer we know that he did not know who jesus was We understand that based upon his own testimony and confession that he reads or is written here about him later on. And so this man, ignorant of God, possessing no faith, is healed by the mercy and the grace of God. He goes on to be confronted by the Jews, and the Jews say, Who has done this to you? Why are you carrying your mat? And he says, I don't know. And then it says this later on, and if you open up your Bibles again at John 5, Later, verse 514, later, Jesus found him at the temple. And he said to him, see, you are well again. Now, here's a ministry moment. Stop continuing to sin. It says stop sinning, but if you can read it, it means stop in an ongoing way, your continuation of sin, okay? Stop continuing to sin like you've been doing. Stop continuing to live like you've been living, all right? In the terms of that, stop sinning or, warning, something worse could happen to you. There's a little hook. But it means it stops sinning. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him all the more, if you read the section there. Kind of an interesting man, isn't he? Here's this mercy of God. What do you wish me to do for you? Misses it totally. The mercy of God is poured out into this person's life. And this person, having found this out, rather than responding with great joy and celebration and thankfulness, none of it's recorded there, even if it was, who knows, responding is told, stop continuing in your sin, you know, live this kind of new way. And then he, it says, and immediately he went and he told the Jews who healed him. Apparently, to get the Jews off his back because he had broken the Sabbath by carrying his his bed or his mat. Now, I want you to understand something about people. It is a lack of God's mercy and grace. And the truth is, no matter what kind of mode or mood or attitude we come with on a particular Sunday, there are some Sundays I need God to pursue me. And all those songs we pick where it goes, I this, give you that. I just go, that is not my heart. Just leave me alone. It just... It's just fighting because I'm hurting, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm, I'm broken, and those songs don't minister. And then you hear a song where it speaks about God just extending his love, and it's that totally, and, just, and you just kind of look up and you get washed in it, right? And I go, one of the things you begin to learn is that sometimes you have this hollow spot that needs to be filled, and other times the week has gone in such a way that it's filled up and it's just overflowing, it's just bubbling into all kinds of things, you can't wait to celebrate and express joy. I can't wait to sing with you, Jesus. I can't wait to dance with you, Jesus. There's nothing more important in my life than you, Jesus. Everything is going well this week, Jesus. But then you go a different week, and you go, God, I'm so empty. I feel like you're so far away. I can't hear you, and I don't know if I want to ever talk to you again as long as I live. And every time you talk to me, I feel guilty and ashamed and judged. And I go, that is my life. That's your life. And then like, like Liz so clearly and beautifully pointed out, we can get just dumped on by the pastor or the teaching or the word, and we just, you know, we just get loaded, and we oh, just weighs us. And I go, that is so real in my life and in her life, and that's why I asked her to do it, because she could say things in ways that women could really, you know, so easily relate to and, and understand it. I can say it in other ways, too, but you get the same idea. You, you get done, and you can even preach your own sermon and walk away from your own sermon just dumped on, You understand, it wasn't any easier to teach about uh, uh, slothfulness than to, you know, I had to experience it because so many times when you teach the material, it's convicting you. One of the best things you can ever learn how to do is to teach Scripture to somebody else because we're going to find out whether you believe it or not. Do you really believe that God created the world? Do you really believe that God said this about men and women? Do you really believe that that's the way we should live and behave? And when you're teaching and you've got four, six, twelve or even one person looking at you asking that question, you find out really quickly whether you're a hypocrite or you're real. And that's one of the most challenging things I remember from my first years in the ministry. I said, oh my goodness. I I had that moment where I said, I'm either going to believe this or throw the whole thing out. It's either going to manifest its reality to me or I'm going to throw the book away. And that was the first time I began to feel that level of pressure One was was when I had to preach or teach somebody else. You can avoid it and go all the way through college. You can avoid it and sit in church because no one has ever confronted you about what do you personally believe? What is that verse communicating to you and what part of your life needs to change? And the moment you have to stand and say something where they're going to hold you accountable, where they're going to ask you, do you do that? Right? At that point in your life, everything begins to change. And you get confronted about whether or not you are a true believer in Jesus Christ or whether you're kind of that fringy, hypocritical, slothful kind of believer that I can be and maybe you can be too if you're not careful. Where you just sit on the fringe and you just kind of believe, but you never have been confronted with actually looking at God's word and dealing with wholeheartedly. And so what God does is he steps into that situation and he asks us, What do you wish? What do you want? What are you desiring? I got confronted with a beautiful question. Confronted maybe is the wrong word. I got—I always call confront tap. You know, tap you on the forehead. Great, great word. And I go. The question was this: What do you want your church to be like? Hmm. Well, I certainly didn't come up with big or roofs or walls or—I or didn't do anything. But the question was: What do you want your people to be like? Because if you don't know what you want your people to be like, you probably don't know how to get them there. Wow. So it's a question I've been praying on. But I'm going to turn it on you and ask the same question. What do you want your marriage to be like? What do you really want it to be like? And how are you working toward that? What do you really want your children to be like? Do they know? Do they understand? What do you want this church to be like? Because part of a fellowship is, although, yes, I can say I'm the leader and things like that, the reality is that you are in this body with me, and you bless me just as much with an email or a conversation or a word or a comment that helps my head kind of get rearranged and refocused and narrowed maybe in a different perspective than I've heard. And if without you, I can move in all kinds of strange directions that I miss, Because God stirs something in your heart, your spirit, your heart, or your attitude much more quickly than I have. Obviously, Liz has a totally different sensitivity to the needs and wants and desires of a woman than I do. And likewise, there's things that I can feel and respond to, maybe that don't relate to you at all, and the next day they relate to you totally. But the truth is that you and I begin to understand, if we're not kind of rubbing up against one another, that's kind of that iron sharpening iron or that polishing of the diamond that needs to be done. If you know anything about how that stuff is sometimes polished, there's that little bit of abrasiveness in it that just kind of touches it and takes out of that and rubs that thing to that beautiful sheen or whatever it happens to be that you're working toward. And you've got to understand, there's that process that's constantly being worked on. What do you wish? What do you want? What are you then visioning and working for? Because that becomes the challenge. This is Jesus' question. What do you wish, desire me to do for you? Would you like, would you wish me to heal you and make you whole? You see, and I can take either one of those questions and ask myself that question because the trouble with wholeness is it always changes my life. Right, I've shared with you before, the man who had been sick had to get up and he had to walk. For the first time, he was going to carry his own mat. Somebody else wasn't going to be carrying it for him. For the first time, he was going to have to relate to people differently. He was going to have to talk, communicate, look them in the eye. He no longer could walk around complaining about everybody else not being adequate. He was being held accountable for his own behavior, his own attitude. Wholeness does not mean it's easier. Wholeness means that you start living the way God has asked you to live. Wholeness means that you start functioning, thinking, behaving, responding and reacting the way God wants you to think and respond. It may change your whole relationship toward your wife or your husband. It may change the whole thing with the way you excuse me, the way you talk to your mother or your father. It may change everything about your relationships you're in now or everything else you can imagine. That's the problem with a question like, do you want to be whole? Do you want me to make you a complete woman? Would you like me to make you a whole man so that you can be man's or God's man as I want you to be? And the answer: oh, I don't know. I, uh, I'm actually kind of contented with the jerk I am. Oh, is that possible? Well, I can confess it from my heart. That's sometimes more comfortable than letting God make me whole, because part of that thirty-day question, right? There's a question of that thirty days. You know what God was doing? Going, I'm going to heal this. I'm going to make you whole in this area. You're going to close the door on this behavior. You're going to behave some way differently. You're going to be responding some other way. That wholeness was exactly what God was doing for me. And that's what I could feel myself coming up with the lines, the excuses, the everything that holds me back, right? It's the old proverbial, would you like to give your life to Jesus question? And you go, oh, no, no. As uh, I think it was... Uh, I uh, can't remember the king to, the, to one king to Paul. I says, Paul, what do you think? You're going to convert me in one day? Well, I, I'll just think about what you have to say. That kind of shutting it down. God's spirit works. God's spirit convicts. God's spirit exposes. And the question of wholeness enters your world, and you shut it down. The 30-day question says, I want to make you whole. What would you do differently if you had 30 days left? And if you come up with a list, I'll guarantee... I'll guarantee that many of those things are the areas of your life that God wants to make you whole and complete in and restore you that you haven't been restored to. Friendships, relationships, behaviors, attitudes, that you can, at 30 days time limit, you go, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't follow through on that. I'd change this. I'd tell her this. I'd tell him that. I'd ask this. I'd ask that. That's what God is speaking to your heart. And so my challenge to you, if you had 30 days left to live, Who would you confess sin to? If you had 30 days left to live, what would you stop doing? If you had 30 days left to live, who would you be talking to? Who would you be inviting to be a part of your life? Who would you be witnessing to? That's the challenge I want you to look at. Today I want to ask you as you come forward, what do you wish from God? What God has for you is not just forgiveness, and I don't want to minimize that. He has wholeness, completeness, newness of life. Pray with me, if you would. Lord Jesus, as we approach your altar today, speak to my heart. Help me to think and hear all those things that you brought to my mind with 30 days to live. And then give me the courage to live in the wholeness, the completeness, the power that comes from doing things your way. Lord, uh, we have these infirmities, these self-deceptions, these lies that we bring upon ourselves and into our world. For all those things, Lord, we repent. Bring us to a point of truth and integrity as we approach your altar. Lord, let your blessing be upon us in every way. Help us to answer the question with integrity and honesty. What do you want me to do for you? What do you wish from me? Lord, to you be all the glory, praise, and honor. Amen. As the offering is received, we pray God's blessing of that area of your life.